The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. And we have this evening to look at the hindrances generally, and in particular, we'll spend a little bit more time on the last three, looking at how dullness and sleepiness can be a real force in our lives. Now we're not talking about not getting enough sleep when we talk about sloth and torpor. It's how it is in the texts. We're really talking about that habit of the mind in the face of life, which is often difficult, to shrink back and to use dullness and sleepiness as a way to manage the pain that comes with life the difficulties, the confusion, right? Just like wanting is a strategy to feel better, you know, if only, then I'll feel better. If only I have this, if only I had my favorite beverage, if only I have another cup of my, now I need something salty, now I need something sweet, now I need something crunchy, now I need something savory. Do you notice that, like, and it, it's that promise. So all of these hindrances are <clears throat> ineffective and inefficient ways of trying to make ourselves happy. So it's not like we hate ourselves. We're really trying to take care of ourselves, but there's not a lot of wisdom built into our habits. So we think that dullness and sleepiness can protect us. We're being hyped and a little manic and worrying and being overly vigilant, planning out, let me plan that again, let me think of another scenario. That's sort of the restlessness and worry as it's translated in the text. Right, that's like, if I just think about every conceivable possibility, then, then I'm gonna be okay. And doubt is related to that too, right? That spinning of doubt. Oh, I gotta know. I need certainty. Is this, is it that way? So, uh, Joseph Goldstein, one of my teachers, just as a general instruction, I think that's a nice way to use our time tonight. It's like, how do we practice? How do we become a good student of the hindrances? Because what we all want to do is go immediately to like not having any of those hindrances. <laughs> Just having a beautifully easeful, stable, bright, but settled mind, heart, body. Wouldn't that be nice? But the way is to uh, let the hindrances reveal themselves. Because we have to get to know them. If we're not seeing them, feeling them, being intimate with them, we'll never learn what feeds and what weakens them. And that the first uh, big turning in the mind is to realize the hindrances are arising here. You know, there's lots of great stories that, you know, often people coming back from retreats 
and something really irritated them on the retreat. I don't know if people notice that. One of the things, that I can't hear it in the building, but I've noticed recently, as, a, as have other people, but when we show up at the building here in Minneapolis, there's a bakery just uh, half a block away, maybe 150 meters, so not far at all. And uh, I keep hearing these bird sounds. I don't know if anybody's noticed this in the parking lot. Yeah, and I thought, okay, you know, bakery, they're throwing bread out, but probably a lot of birds in the dumpster or something like that. But it's like the same sound every time I come. And then I realize, well, I wonder if that's the sound, like a recorded sound of hawks to keep the pigeons and the birds away from the dumpsters. And now that's what I've sort of determined. I don't know if that's really true. But it's like, first the mind needs the, like the aversive mind. My mind tends to go to aversion and control. It's like, I need to know what that is so I can know whether I should be averse to it. You know, if it's just birds, hard to be averse to birds trying to get a meal, right? Because I have this value that I value birds, so, you know, I'm not going to even, what do they call people? I don't call pigeons flying rats, but I think I've heard people call them that, you know, so we even, even amongst the birds, we have our preferences. Birds that are worthy of our aversion, birds that are worthy of our desire, you know, like when I see a golden finch, it's like, oh, you belong in my neighborhood, you know. But if we see one of those ordinary sparrows or pigeon, it's like, I can tolerate you, maybe. So this, these are all how the, uh, the hindrances are operating all the time. Or if we're not uh, hyped up about something, you know, we, what do we do? We go for our caffeine, caffeine beverage, we turn the news on, we talk about provo provocative stuff with a friend, we agitate the mind so we feel alive, and then after a while we're exhausted because we've agitated the mind so long, worried so long, that we need, we want to crash, the mind wants to crash. And then we veg out somehow, whether we take a nap, or we veg out watching TV, or, you know, whatever it is. And then we throw a little doubt in. And it'd be very interesting, you know, next week in the small groups, we'll be moving on to the seven factors of awakening next week, but probably a lot of you in your small groups next week because it's what we've been studying these first four weeks, the hindrances, just to like share, map out your day. Oh yeah, this was mostly, this part mostly dominated by doubt, this part of the day, dullness, this part, it was like 10 minutes of frantic restlessness, a little craving, lots of aversion, about four hours of that. And it's, it's like that, is a pretty accurate uh, way to map out like what kind of mind, what coloring or filtered mind was operating through the day. And we can do the same, and it's actually a good skill, right? Because we want to get learn how to recognize that. And I bet you know that with your kids or with the people you live with, partners, whatever. Oh, they're in their aversive state. They're 
And, and we can even develop skill about like how to be with that person when they're really aversive. How not to feed it, but how to talk them down. <laughs> you know, like, okay, you're really angry, I'll talk you down. Or you're really restless, I'll talk you down. Or you're really dull, I'll, you know, I'll develop some brightness. I'll, you know, help you. So we can be good friends in that way, just managing each other's, you know, balance of mind. It's a basic skill we need how to remove, how to abandon the hindrances that are there operating in our mind in any moment, and how to prevent them from re-emerging. And as you probably imagine, just that continuity of mindful awareness, like even during the guided sit, if you had moments, 15 seconds, 45 seconds, a couple minutes, with pretty good continuity, you see that when the mind is capable of being interested in what's ordinary, really interested and really tracking, not controlling the breath, not controlling the sitting body, whatever phenomena you were using to help sustain, <clears throat> excuse me, present moment awareness, it's, we can, it can seem like, oh, I can't do that, but actually, in real time, you can be aware of the absence of the hindrances. Any greed in the mind? No greed in the mind, that's apparent. Any aversion in the mind? No aversion is apparent. How's the energy? Too little energy? No, not dull. Too much energy? No, doesn't seem restless. How about doubt? Is the mind spinning with doubt? No. It's sort of, that's the basic antidote for doubt, is just to be connected to the present moment. It's like when I'm touching the little uh, table in front of me, people online can't see this, but, you know, just feeling the wood, touching, and I put my attention on the contact, the actual touching, the experience of touching, not the idea that I'm at common ground giving a talk and touching the lectern here. There's no doubt in the experience of touch. Doubt only exists when we're identified with the concepts, the conceiving, cognating mind. Because however, this is the Buddha, quote from the Buddha, however we conceive the moment, whatever meaning that I construct, it's always just a a label, a designation that isn't the reality itself. So when I say it's Monday night and that I'm at common ground, you know, it's it's easy <laughs> if it's something as straightforward as that. You know, it's easy to have doubt. Well, it's Monday night in Minnesota, but somewhere else it's probably Tuesday already, you know, or whatever. It's still Sunday. So Joseph Goldstein says, you know, in terms of gaining some skill with the hindrances, just to be able to, like so many things in life, just to have a vocabulary to name what is hindering, what is getting in the way, 
of the continuity of present moment awareness. And so now that's a question we can all ask several times during the day, several times during a sit. And then we have, we can then specifically check on these five hindering tendencies. So make sure you've memorized them and that you practice that. And like I mentioned in the guided sit, it's nice to have a particular training like, okay, I'm going to walk along the river, you know, for 45 minutes and I have the resolve, the intention to be present with the walking, with the seeing, with the hearing, just the basic elements of taking this walk. And, not to be judgmental, but I want to be interested in the what hinders the continuity of present moment awareness. Because you know how it is, like whether we're sitting or we're walking or we're cooking dinner, if we do have the intention to be present, and then we catch ourselves being distracted, what do we normally do? So rush back as if like someone's going to catch us being bad. We rush back to whatever we think the present moment is. Of course, the mind was present already when we realized that we were distracted. You can only realize you were distracted when the mind is present. And then we immediately distract ourselves by not noticing that rushing back to the so-called present moment is neurotic. Right? Maybe you do notice that, that's good. But what we're trying to develop these weeks is that curiosity in that moment where you catch the mind, the mind is, mindfulness is now returning to some degree because there's some awareness, oh, it's like this. I've been lost in thought or I've been being caught up in some reactive pattern. Okay, so something's hindering present moment awareness. Let me be on the lookout. What that is. Is it greed? Is it aversion? Too little energy, too much energy? Doubt. Or some combination even. Like sometimes doubt and aversion or doubt and greed can be spinning together, can be affecting the mind at the same time. Or dullness and greed. It's like I really like, I just want to go to oblivion. And dullness and aversion can also team up. So he says, first recognize and note, then once we have a sense of what the hindrance might be, like not to indulge in it, but to just be aware of it. Now that's not, we're not trying to get rid of it even at this point, but we're not acting it out. And this really ties into the third instruction. So recognize and note, don't act out, allow the, or don't believe the thought, this is the third, don't believe the thought, I can't practice when it's like this, because I have so much doubt, or I'm so restless. That the EVGBs, you know, we just can't sit still, or the mind just is racing. I mean, never believe that thought, I can't practice with this. 
Because practice isn't having a particular kind of experience. Practice is acknowledging that experience is like this now. So when our mind is racing, it's possible for wisdom awareness to go, my mind's racing, it's like this. It's not what I like. Oh, not liking is like this. Feeling a failure at meditation feels like this, looks like this. Hoping, hoping that no one notices what a bad meditator I am. Shame is like this. So, this it's really important instruction to take to heart that mindfulness never really cares what the object that's being known is. Any object will do. So that's that third instruction, don't believe the thought, I can't practice with this. Even serious sleepiness, dullness, where you got the, like in a sitting practice, where you got the nod thing going. Even sometimes, you know, people will fall all the way forward. It generally wakes them up. <laughs> or even that moment where it becomes a free fall is usually interesting enough that awareness sort of mid-fall wakes up. <laughs> and, you, you get, and then you see that, like, sometimes just sit in a corner back, you know, after COVID when the room is full of people, come for a 30, 45 minute sit period, and you'll see there's some percentage of people that will be doing the nod because sleepiness, dullness is a formidable obstacle for meditation. Just as much of an obstacle as restlessness is. You know, so some percentage of the people, I mean, there are people who are restless who look on the surface to be really subtle because you can't really tell that some people's bodies sort of will reflect some restlessness and inability just to be with the conditions as they are. And that's good because we want to normalize and really develop some respect. And then the last instruction is let the hindrance reveal, let the hindrances reveal themselves. So let me just repeat those four because you can use these during the day and during formal sitting times. Recognize and note. So just be interested. I mean, it's really as simple as wondering, well, what's the problem? Oh, they're suffering. I know that when I'm present and settled, things feel good. That doesn't mean the world's good or my, even my life situation is good. It just means that there is an inherent pleasure in having that stability of present moment awareness. Even when there's a lot of emotional or physical pain or a lot of chaos. So when we notice we don't have that settledness, then just be curious, well, what, what's happening? What is the hindering force preventing the stability, continuity of present moment awareness? And we recognize and note, and we practice not acting out, not indulging, taking it personally. Oh yeah, sometimes it's like this, there's wanting. There's sleepiness. 
don't believe that strong impulse, like I can't, can't practice with this. Like my practice will return when this goes away. That's so compelling. You know, it's how many times, I mean, this would be a nice little confession. How many times have we written off a sit because we're just too restless or just too sleepy or just too excited about something we really want to happen in our life or just too angry about something that happened to us or just too confused, caught up in doubt? A lot of sits. And, and whether we actually checked out, like left our sitting place, or just stayed there but checked out, like gave up. I'm here, but I'm not really making any honest attempt to develop present moment awareness. We're basically using the sitting time to strengthen the hindrance, to kind of let the habits have the run of the place. Recognize and no, don't act out, don't believe the thought, I can't practice until this goes away. Allow the hindrances to reveal themselves. So we need that stability, so we use the interest of the hindrance itself to stabilize present moment awareness so we can let the hindrance reveal itself. I was re-reading something from Ajahn Sumedho, a really important teacher of mine, and I just think a a really useful teacher for a lot of folks, one of our senior Western teachers, he's an American, but has been a Buddhist monk for over 40 years, and he's quite old now, but he was talking about in his earlier days, and he was one of the early Western monks to train in Thailand, and... uh, so senior to a lot of the other Western monks that then ordained later. And uh, he talked about, you know, how all of a sudden in his practice he started to get really jealous of some of these other Western monks who people were praising. But he knew, you know, like as the senior monk, Western monk, he shouldn't be jealous. <laughs> it's like, I don't know much about monasticism, but I don't think you're supposed to be jealous. <laughs> so. He suppressed it because you know, I'm not gonna. I'm a good monk. I'm not a jealous monk. So, and then eventually, you know, it wouldn't go away. Of course, it would squeeze in here and there. And eventually, he realized I have to get interested in jealousy because that's what we tend to do when we do have some sense of the way you know, just are with our personalities, with our temperaments, the way the mind, let's just say, sabotages itself because of habits, it's not being bad, it's just the nature of our particular mind, mental conditioning. We want to suppress, you know, we want to dominate the bad stuff. You can't be that way, I'm not going to be that way anymore. That's not allowed. No more sleepiness, no more restlessness. And we try to use willpower. So, of course, it's not going to work. We actually have to get interested. So one of the things you can do tonight, and we can inform the small group sharings next week, but uh, 
really resolve, like, what of these five hindrances are you just naturally interested in because you think it's showing up a lot, not just in your formal meditation time, but any time during the day. And you're just, you've got some energy, like, I really want to get to know this. And, and remember, getting to know it means we know when it's there, we know when it's not there. We know the mind when it's arising, which means we're getting a sense of what feeds it. Like, what are the supporting causes? So when there's this, there's sleepiness. When this isn't here, there, then sleepiness isn't there. When there with the arising of this, sleepiness arises. Without that arising, sleepiness doesn't arise. That's how the Buddha talks about conditionality. So, we know when it's there, let's just say, use sleepiness as an example, dullness. So there's dullness of mind even when you're not sleeping, right? Like you're packed in styrofoam, you know that? Just like, mind, like, uh, one of the chief disciples of the Buddha, Moggallana, evidently has problems with sleepiness. And, uh, I think in the text even, they talk about it as the mind is like stiff butter, cold butter. You know, it's not very wieldy, not very easy to kind of massage onto your toast, <laughs> right? Because it's stiff, it's cold. And the mind, the, the dull mind is a little bit like that, it just doesn't want to work. Because oh. it's really retreated, like, oh no, I'm sleepy, I can't do anything. And it's really identified with that. So, um, you know, we want to get interested in, the, in one of these hindrances that we think is especially uh, yeah, important for us to get to know. Is it there? Is it not there? What's there when it arises, when it gets stronger? How is the mind feeding it, develop, like unconsciously supporting it? So let's use that example of sleepiness when there's sleepiness, when sleepiness is arising, maybe for some of us right now, what is the mind paying attention to, and how is it paying attention that feeds the dullness and sleepiness? Right. So, any let's just hear from people online or people in the room. Just what feeds sleepiness and what weakens it? Let's just see cause and effect. Because we've dealt with dullness of mind a lot, and we're going to do this for sleepiness, restlessness, and doubt. And I'll say, I'll read what's in the tradition, but just to kind of reflect in your own experience, when there is this, sleepiness tends to get stronger. Without that, sleepiness doesn't get stronger. Because the, the Buddha is basically saying we need to learn these five things. If it's there, if it's not there, what's there that supports its arising? What's there that supports its abandoning? And what keeps it, prevents it from re-arising? And these two are often the same thing, like what weakens it and also can be what prevents it from re-establishing itself in the mind. So, People online, you can just raise your digital hand 
if you would. Someone wrote, uh, Lori wrote, interest weakens it. Yeah. So maybe the opposite of Lori's point, strengthens it. Like, like that, you know how it is when we're really dull? And it's like, oh, I know. It's like my uh, phone, I plug it in right next to my bed. And I'll be kind of in that sort of dull state, but I, I need to know, like, is it getting close to time to get up? But I, oh, I, I can't be bothered to turn, you know, and touch my phone. <laughs> it's like that kind of effort, that interest. And related to the uh, interest takes some energy. And this is, uh, you know, related to that is if we want, if we don't make effort, sleepiness, dullness gets stronger. If we do make effort, sleepiness and dullness shrinks. Now that's something we can all check out for ourselves this week. Is that really true? So you know how it is if some of you have office jobs, three o'clock in the afternoon could be a, a hard time. So just see, like making some effort, what, is, what happens? Uh, Joseph Goldstein, in one of his books, talks about uh, just dealing with some sluggishness and sleepiness during a longer retreat. And he noticed his friend, Sharon Salzberg, who was also on retreat at the time, walking so slowly. Because sometimes you would think, I should just walk faster, like during walking meditation, and that will raise the energy. But Sharon was walking really slow, and she was asking her mind, to notice, you know, the micro parts of each lifting, lifting, moving forward, moving forward, dropping, dropping, touching, pressing in, pressing in, lifting, lifting, swinging forward, swinging forward, dropping. You know, it's like, but it would drive us crazy, but to ask the mind, I think he, he had six notes for every step. Six things he was asking his mind to notice in each step. And he, he says, like in that example, that within a few steps, his mind had really brightened up, simply by asking it to do some work. Same thing with mental noting, which, you know, isn't always good medicine for everyone at all times. But when the mind is really dull, to simply ask the mind, okay, I'm gonna make you work, honey. I want you to mentally label or note whatever predominant experience the mind is knowing. Just a simple label. Oh, thinking is being known. Seeing is being known. You don't have to do it incessantly, but every few seconds, make the effort to recognize, oh yeah, the mind is knowing. What's it knowing? It's knowing hearing. Hearing is being known. Touching is being known. Reaching is being known. Yeah, Tim. Sometimes this mind gets kind of existential and starts thinking that there's no purpose to life and that makes me more sleepy. Thank you. Yeah, you could just leave it on here. Yeah, and that's so just that attitude, anything that supports the idea of helplessness, which is basically that effort 
is sort of a fool's game. Now think about all those places in our life where we have that, whether it's like we're conscious of it, but that idea that I don't want to make effort because I'll just be made a fool. And, and it's true that there are places in life where effort doesn't help, but it's not, the problem isn't that there isn't a way to make skillful effort, it's just we haven't paid attention enough to know what, what, what actually helps. So a lot of you know people have a misunderstanding about Buddhism, they can wrongly think it's very passive, but it's just like understanding that we have to be really intimate. We have to let life reveal itself to know how to engage. And we get helpless because we want to go right to engagement instead of having a sense. Did somebody raise their hand here? Oh yeah, I'm done. Do you mind taking the seat, the hot seat? <laughs> and then I'll read a few of the comments from the uh, online community. guessing it resonates with a lot of us because we do give up on the practice a lot. All of us have, you know, cycled through times of great faith and the thing is the faith, the confidence part of the cycle is, uh, it's too dismissive of, like there's not enough respect for the force of the hindrances. And we think because we've had some moments of real peace, and clarity and insight, it's in the bag. And then, like there's a, one of my teachers, Saito Utejaniya, 
has a little booklet called, uh, help me with the title if you remember, Don't Look Down on the Hindrances. They'll laugh at you? Is that the second part? Yeah. Don't look down on the hindrances, they'll laugh at you. You can get it online um, at sayadautejaniya.org. Um, you can download it there. If you just Google that title, you'll probably find a place you can download the digital version for free of that book. But yeah. So, knowing that cycle is really useful. Like, that doubt and giving up don't work. So that's, that's a, in a way, in a spiritual way, is getting cornered. It's like, we think, it's a little bit like, I mean, just to be graphic, suicide doesn't work. We think it does, like, I'm in a lot of pain, I'm just going to check out. But it presumes something, like that the continuity of the mind stream just ends with the death of the body. Well, we don't really know that. So, if we presume, like, uh, I don't know, and it might continue, so, so then I'm cornered, so then I have to figure out what to do with this human life, with this existential situation where I have this sensitivity, and I have all this conditioning, and it's getting activated, and we really have to do the slow, steady work of figuring out how to cultivate this garden of our mind, how to feed the right stuff and weaken the stuff that isn't helpful. And we have some pointing out instructions from our wise elders in our community. And so it's just going through the, especially these last three hindrances, like uh, Laurie said, interest can really weaken, making the effort to be interested can really weaken that kind of dullness. Now, if you just need sleep, that interest is going to tell you what? Honey, you need to go to bed, right? So don't feel like you're going against nature when you're interested. Being interested in the way it is will reveal this isn't the hindrance of sleepiness. This is the body and mind telling me I need to go to sleep because I'm sleep deprived. But as, even when you've gotten plenty of sleep, dullness can be a significant hindrance. So here's what it says in the text about that, and then we'll go on to the other two. When one dwells with a mind obsessed and oppressed by dullness and does not understand as it really is the escape from dullness. On that occasion, one knows, neither knows nor sees as it really is one's own good, the good of others, the good of both. So when I, my mind is caught up in dullness, I can't really take care of myself or others because I'm really in that withered, shrunken, get me away from, I'm using dullness as a way of escaping life. And, it, and then it goes on and says, um, I, the Buddha says, I know of no other single thing of such power to cause the arising of sloth and torpor, if not already arisen, or if arisen, to cause its development and increase as regret, drowsiness, inertia, 
satisfaction after a meal, torpidity of mind, right? So choosing to pay attention to these things feeds dullness. In one who is of torpid, uh, torpid mind, sloth and torpor, if not already arisen, arises, if already arisen, is liable to increase and expand. Now here's how to weaken it. I know of no other single thing <clears throat> of such power to prevent the arising of sloth and torpor, if not already arisen, or if arisen, to cause its abandonment as the element of putting forth effort, of exertion, of striving, right? To be interested, for example, in one who energetically strives, sloth and torpor arises not, or if arisen, it is abandoned. Now, of course, there's each of us in each moment where we're dealing with dullness, what to make effort, you know, what kind of effort to make, what to do, that's going to be very specific. But you could just ask the question, what can I ask the mind to do now? Like I notice if I'm getting sleepy, you know, because I do a lot of desk work, reading, you know, things that can dull the mind after a while. And then I'll, I'll kind of think what needs to be done, and I'll go do a little house task. You know, I'll go do a little work here, a little work there. I also make green tea. <laughs> but, you know, I, and I find that it's really energizing just to kind of go do a task. And then I come back in seven minutes or whatever, and I have some more energy. Oh boy, 27 comments. Well, you guys are having a great conversation online. Now we need someone to uh, curate all these wonderful comments. Yeah. Good, so let's go on to the next one. So now restlessness and worry. And in the text, the Buddha puts restlessness and worry Together And worry really here is about remorse. And so one of the uh, ways to weaken restlessness and worry is to really pay attention to our moral sensitivity. Because, you know, when we're causing harm, taking advantage of people, neglecting our duties and responsibilities, then... When we have a little space, what do we do? We worry about it. Like, ooh, will I get caught? Am I bad? You know, what do people think about me? So, one of the ways to settle our life is to decide to be really meticulous about not causing harm, about not taking things that weren't given to us about being really careful with our sexual energy so we don't cause harm. I mean, talk about restlessness, you know, about relationships and mistakes we've made in relationships. We spend a lot of time being uneasy about what we set in motion because we, you know, weren't good for someone or uh, didn't behave well with someone, for example, took advantage of them or whatever it might be. Here's what the Buddha says. 
I knew of no other single thing of such power to cause the arising of restlessness and remorse, if not already arisen, or if arisen, to cause its development and increase as non-tranquility of mind, such as reading the news. <laughs> In one who is a troubled mind, restlessness and remorse, if not already arisen, arises, or if already arisen, is liable to increase and expand. So when we're all worked up, it's so interesting, isn't it, that we tend to be drawn to provocative, agitating things. Have you noticed that? It's like we've had a really difficult day, and the only thing we can imagine doing is watching a stupid movie with a lot of car chases or whatever might, you know, whatever gets you going. And it's so like, it doesn't make sense, but there it is, the desire to do something that is uh, agitating for the mind, whatever it might be. Or the kind of music we might listen to, or the kind of dance, I mean, everyone will have their own particular thing. And by the way, folks online, you can, uh, if you have comments or questions as we go, you can raise your digital hand if you want to speak, and we can have the people here in the room hear you as well. And um, yeah, so just uh, raise your digital hand, I'm observing that. And then here's what the Buddha says about abandoning restlessness and remorse. And you can imagine, it's just the opposite of something that's agitating, something that's soothing. I know of no other single thing as tranquility of mind to weaken that restlessness and remorse. And, you know, what's the going to a natural setting, you know, a nice meadow or a peaceful river, because there's something tranquil in natural settings, not, not agitating. Even, it doesn't mean there aren't mosquitoes, but there's just something, like, one of the things we really notice is the difference of being in a city, and then in the freeway getting out of the city, and then after a while, longer and longer while, because you've got to go further and further away, when you're really out of city energy, and then you step out of the car, right, in whatever that natural space, and you really notice the difference. And then if you just stay in a more wild, natural setting for a longer time, it really affects the, the nervous system. You can really see that. And you know, we have these little ways of doing it in our homes, whether it's a house plant or whatever, but you know, Obviously, the community, Kamagar community, spent a lot of time and sweat, equity, and money to make a tranquil place here in the city. And you know, I don't, a lot of you weren't around when we bought this place in 2006, but this was all parking lot. There was no garden around this building. It was all asphalt. So that, you know, I mean, we hired some, some of the work, but a lot of community members did a lot of work to put in the rain gardens, to put in the trees, which look pretty big now, and uh, build a garden shed, and bring in the big stones, and to surround the building with more gardens. 
And the same thing with all of the resources that all of us have put into the purchase and development of the retreat center so that we have these quiet places. And so just think about that, like be really honest about what we're feeding the heart. Are we feeding the heart agitation? What's good medicine for this heart? What would be soothing? What kind of music should I put on or no music? What kind of media should I watch or no media? What kind of people should I have conversations with? And what kind of topics should I talk about with these people? And it's not about being judgmental. It's just about realizing that everything is medicine. And the question is, I so value the stability of present moment awareness because it's so central to being able to take care of myself and others that I'm looking at everything in my life in terms of medicine. What is it feeding? What is it weakening? Is it the right medicine for me to be taking? Imagine whenever we're online and looking for a movie or a TV show, we just sincerely had that motivation to find good medicine for my heart. And if I have a lot of restlessness and remorse, what would settle things? Or if I have a lot of dullness, what kind of activity right now would bring the mind in balance? Or if I have a lot of greed, or a lot of anger, irritation? So let's reflect on doubt before our time is up. So I know of no other single thing of such power to cause the arising of doubt, if not already arisen, or if arisen, to cause its development and increase as... Now just think for yourself, what feed, before I tell you what the Buddha says, what feeds doubt, what particular way of being feeds doubt? And, and the opposite will be, what particular way of being starves or weakens? Now, there is a kind of wholesome doubt, we're talking about the unwholesome kind of doubt, where the mind is spinning in a way that keeps it disconnected, so it really doesn't know how to... The basic definition is, when we're caught in the hindrances, the Buddha says we don't know how to take care of ourselves, our own good, or the good of others, or the good of both. So what feeds doubt, the unproductive kind of doubt, what we consent? See if anybody online said. Yeah, Mary says, Dad, I can't do it. It's too much. Yeah, I mean that, well, basically in, indulging or identifying with the story. Fear, Jennifer says. But the Buddha says it's a little bit more general. He calls it careless attention. Like, the careless attention sort of fits in with these two people online have said, because when I'm not being careful, then I'll believe that thought, that superficial thought, I can't do this, it's too much. Or I'll believe the fear. And, you know, when, when we have a lot of doubt, what we want to turn to is some place, some aspect of our experience where there's no doubt. So like, we'll take a breath, but we'll connect with the breath, 
We're not just trying to escape the doubt. We're realizing this is being known. There's no doubt about that. Breathing in is being known. I don't have any doubt about that. Seeing is being known. There's a lot I don't know. You know, some of you are parents. You probably don't know how to be a perfect parent. A lot of us have lovers or partners or spouses. I don't know how to be a good partner. I mean, I have some ideas, but it's it's a mystery, you know, how to be in a long-term relationship. The practice. A lot of times we don't even know where we're going. We just sort of know what's not helpful, like being spaced out or indulging in this, indulging in that. We just have a sense, an intuitive sense it's useful. But we can like come back to the present and notice, yeah, this feels good. Being present feels good. It's like you were talking about that. It's not nothing just to keep coming back. And it was just that habit that revealed that there was some greed in it. You know, it would would have been great not to have the greed in it, but if there's going to be greed, we want to see it. And it makes so much sense that when something actually is helpful, it's going to trigger the greed. So there's always this endless correcting, the path we get off, and then we got to come back into the middle, and then we get off a different way, and then we got to come back into the middle. And so the antidote for doubt, the sort of ceaseless spinning with doubt, is to pay careful attention. That doesn't mean tight attention. It means like care is a compassion, like I don't know much, but I really care. So I'm going to bring that kind of integrity. What can I connect with in this moment? Where I can sort of feed the moment with some confidence. It has to be short, John, because uh, we're all yeah, I'm just wondering, um, the, uh, I think what happens when I doubt, I think it's um, a lack of trust. So a lack do, of trust in yourself. I'm just repeating right, it. Yeah, and so what I can do is think that, so what can I trust? I can trust the breath. Yeah. I can trust community. Uh, so John is saying that he asks himself, what, well, what can I trust? Well, I can cook an egg. Yeah. Now that, that sounds right on. Like, a lot of the questions the mind generates when it's cycling in that kind of unskillful doubt don't have to be answered. So you can even ask that question, like, do I need to answer these? What can I do where there's some trust, there's some confidence? Yeah. So we will have small groups next week, and I'll start talking about the seven factors of awakening. When we have some success at putting the hindrances aside, then the mind is a mind without the hindrances. And then the work of practice is balancing, because what remains are wholesome qualities. Then the job becomes noticing the wholesome qualities that are there, that we can now notice because the present moment awareness isn't being hindered, and bringing those wholesome qualities into a beautiful balance. And then awakening cannot be stopped. The Buddhist images, like the Ganges, inclines towards the ocean, the big river inclines to the ocean, the mind will incline to awakening when the hindrances hindrances are put aside and this balance is cultivated.
It's been great being with everybody. Thanks everybody online for being here, everyone in the room. Wishing you all well. Hope to see you next Monday evening. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.